This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. The Honourable Gentleman asks if I've ever been to Alton Towers and yes indeed I have. I took my sister Annunciata there many years ago. Is it a queue for a theme park ride? For Ikea? Or a recently reopened McDonald's? No, it's Jacob Rees-Mogg's bizarre way of forcing MPs to create a single, socially distanced queue, said to be almost a mile long, snaking through Parliament in order for them to vote in person on whether to force MPs to vote in person, excluding more than 200 MPs who are shielding at home. Welcome to the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Let's all do the conga. Just when you thought politics had got serious and, well, a bit life-in-deathy, along comes Jacob Rees-Mogg to turn it into a farce. Since the Commons rose early, back for Easter, MPs have been taking part in a virtual parliament. Some of them were there in person, others could appear via Zoom. And the parliamentary tech gurus quickly knocked up a website that let them vote from home. Well, no more. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, the Commons leader, wants MPs back in person to show that, like the rest of the country, they're getting back to work. And no more of this newfangled ex-factory online voting nonsense. But what about those more than 200 MPs who can't make it to Parliament because they've been told to shield from coronavirus or they're living with loved ones who've been told to shield or because cuts to transport make getting to Westminster now almost impossible? At the weekend, I spoke to Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Commons Speaker, who told me in an interview for The Times that he was worried that those MPs and their constituents would be disenfranchised. It would mean millions of voters potentially wouldn't have their voice heard in Parliament. So on Tuesday it was put to a vote. Yes, that's a vote on how to vote. And with the traditional narrow Commons division lobbies condemned by Public Health England, a queue system was installed instead. Each MP would then walk into the Commons and to vote yes, they went to the left, and to vote no, they went to the right. But in the queue, each MP was told to stand two metres behind the one in front. The line stretched from the Commons Chamber into Members' Lobby, down a side corridor, down some stairs, another corridor, zigzagging up and down Westminster Hall like the queue for a Harry Potter ride at Universal Studios, then out into blazing hot sunshine, more zigzags, then under the main road and up into Portcullis House where the stragglers were told to join the end of the queue. 
The whole business was too much for one MP who felt faint in the queue to vote and was helped by a member of staff who got her a glass of water and somewhere to sit down until she'd recovered. So, what happened in the corridors of power? Well, I wasn't there, in part because I'm not in Westminster, but also because reporters were told to stay away from the queue. So instead, our intrepid reporter, otherwise known as Labour MP Tracy Braben, she was on the front line at this very odd parliamentary experiment, and she sent us this special report. The bell has rung and it's the first vote to be called and off we go. Now there are two queues, one queue going into Westminster Hall and one queue going out of Westminster Hall back into Parliament to try and get into the queue. And this is on just one amendment, so it's going to be quite a long day. So now we've just been asked to stand outside of Westminster Hall people looking very bemused and confused and it's going all the way as if to the gates outside not quite sure what's going to happen once we get to the barrier maybe we have to queue in the street who knows i am able to catch my opposite number caroline dinage in the queue which is good and we've just arranged a meeting so there is a benefit in that we are seeing each other very much um, a party atmosphere in a way. So now we're walking around position chairs a little bit like um, a parlour game. Finally out of the Westminster Hall and going up the steps, socially distant uh, with comments posted on the stairs. Please wait here until the person in the front has moved forward. So we're just working our way up the stairway. So walking into the chamber where we had to stand on a black mark, say our name and which way we were voting. It looked very much like a count on an election with people at the back with bits of paper making notes. Um, it does seem very absurd use of time, but let's see what happens. So Tracy is now back in the Commons tea room. Is that a good use of your time, Tracy? It felt like a really poor uh, use of our time. Lots of MPs just queuing up around the block, a bit like queuing at a museum or an attraction. The big question is why is government insisting that we do this when we've already really progressively got online voting organised for those people who potentially could be shielding for weeks ahead. Also, when Jacob Rees-Mogg said just now in the chamber that those people who are shielding can contribute in questions and debates but not vote. To be honest, I have no idea why government are doing this and it doesn't seem like a progressive way to handle the really important, difficult situation we're in at the moment. How do you feel about those colleagues who, what is it, 200 of them, can't be there because they are shielded? It must be so frustrating for them that their vote isn't recognised because they're going to be paired. So the people who voted them in can't see which way they went, what their opinion is, what their vote was, or their voting record. It's just bonkers. Well, in a moment, we'll speak to one of those MPs shielding at home uh, to find out how they feel about being left out of the democratic process like this. Plus... 
We tried to work out what it all means going forward with Red Box reporter Esther Weber and Hannah White from the Institute for Government. We'll be back just after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Okay, so I'm joined on the line now by an MP who's not in Westminster, Conservative MP Rob Halfon. Rob, where are you if you're not in Parliament? I'm actually in Harlow in my constituency. I'm in my garden at home, although I am working hard for my constituents. I hope they believe me. (laughs) Um, But uh, it's a crazy day today because it's almost like something out of Kafka because they're having a vote on whether or not they should maintain online voting. And yet MPs who are shielding are not allowed to vote online. uh, And the only people who will be able to vote will be the ones who are in the House of Commons. So just explain to people listening, why it is that you, you've been advised not to go into Parliament? Because I'm a shielded person. So I got my letter from the uh, NHS uh, about 12 weeks ago saying I was clinically vulnerable not to leave the home for 12 weeks. That finishes at the end of June, thank God. And I can't wait to get out. And believe me, I would be in Parliament today if I was advised to do so, and I checked with my doctor, he said, absolutely don't do it because I really wanted to go today to be able to vote on this because it's so ridiculously unjust uh, to see Jacob Rees-Mogg, who I like as a person, but in essence snipping away at my parliamentary rights and those of many other hundreds, in fact, of shielded MPs or who can't come in for COVID-related issues, snipping away at our uh, democratic rights and turning us into parliamentary eunuchs. Uh, Why do you think he's doing that? I mean, the thing, quite often when politicians make decisions, you think, well, I'm not totally sure if that's the right thing to do, but I could see where you're coming from. I could see the point. But this, it's, it's quite hard, I think, for innocent bystanders if you like to think okay this makes total sense to get mps every time they want to vote and they say they want to pass legislation so this is going to mean probably lots of votes on particular days this is sort of madness this this um zigzagging cue why why do you think he's doing this well first of all i should say i do think parliament should go back to set an example to the nation because there's no good saying school should go back and then parliament doesn't go back but it is mad it's not even to allow vote, let alone an online vote uh, to MPs. I think there are a couple of reasons. I think there is a 
a view amongst what I would call art traditionalists, a bit like President Bolsonaro in Brazil. And uh, they regard the COVID as the sniffles. And uh, as he has uh, himself said, and MPs should stop being moaning minis and come to the chamber. And if they don't like it, tough luck. Um, there's that view. There's also a genuine traditionalist view that if we allow this, then this will happen forever and there'll be online voting. There'll be no more divisions in lobbies anymore. And there's a third view, I think, that somehow this gives the opposition a magic lever of power over the government, which I find absolutely mystifying, given that, as I remember it, and I'm a proud conservative, we won a majority in December 2019 and a majority. So the government can do, in essence, what it likes in in Parliament. So the whole thing is a uh, is genuinely a mystery. Uh, And where do you stand on the, the issue of sort of contributing to debates? Because obviously... We've, if if they're going to do away with the virtual parliament, we've reached the point that whether or not your local issue gets raised in parliament depends on the health of your MP, which which strikes me as a sort of mad position to be in. I mean, I've always there are one or two MPs who are sick, and I understand that. And and but this time it's it's a couple of hundred who are either self isolating, who are shielding, who have serious care issues, and who may be sick themselves with this awful. Uh, a virus. I mean, we've been lucky so far because we were able to participate. You you bid for it. You get drawn out of a hat, a computerised hat by the speaker in his office. Sometimes you get called, sometimes you don't. But it's actually no different to the chamber. And then you get all this nonsense about MPs saying they're terribly worried about scrutiny. I've never heard uh, such a load of baloney because the amount of times I've been in division lobbies late at night uh, voting one after the other with MPs not having a clue, and I include myself in this, um, or very little clue exactly what is going on, but just walking through the lobbies in the way the whips tell us. No <laughs> one seems to worry. No, no one seems to worry about that. And all of a sudden, there's this kind of fanatical uh, um, Jesuit uh, love of scrutiny of every single decision that is made in Parliament. But it's really made those people who are making that argument are people who just want it to uh, to keep things as they are and stop people who are affected by COVID from voting online. They just do not want any kind of online parliament or anything done over the internet because I think they see that this is going to be a thing that happens in the, in the future. For you, would it be that bad if this did happen in the future? I mean, parliament is uh, not the most modern workplaces at the best of times. And actually the fact that it managed to get virtual parliament up and running relatively quickly was a sign that like lots of other workplaces there was a way of working without necessarily all being in one building but 600 odd mps trapped in a building even if it's being i'm not sure being two meters apart is going to be enough you know if you're essentially in a sealed box of the commons chamber and actually you know more long term in terms of making politics and parliament more accessible in every sort of sense of the word uh, mps like yourself with a disability it would make life loads easier wouldn't it if you could vote remotely in some form rather than this idea that you can only vote on legislation if you walk up a particular corridor at the right time when someone's ringing a bell yeah so i i understand that argument i suppose where i come slightly down on the more traditional side is the one advantage of the lobby although it is a pain it is incredible in terms of literally uh, it's not called a lobby for any other reason you can lobby ministers and other mps so um you can make i have made a nuisance of myself going through the lobby over 
countless times, getting MPs to sign petitions, urging for backbench debates, getting MPs to sign letters to government ministers, going up to government ministers saying, I have a problem in Harlow in my constituency, can you please sort it? Because otherwise, if you write to a, a government department, you're lucky if you get a reply in three months because it goes into some goblin cave, your letter, <laughs> never to be seen again. And yet you can go up to literally Michael Gove or whoever it might be and say, I have a problem, or can you come to my school or hospital? And it's an amazing place to get things done. So where I accept that argument is if the division lobbies went, it would be very hard to replicate yeah. that, apart from meeting colleagues in the tea room, but which would be by chance, because you know every MP is going to be, for the most part, in the voting lobbies, especially for important votes. And that is uh, an argument I accept. But all I'm saying to these um, these people is this is not going to go on forever. It's going to go on for a few months. We're slowly coming out of lockdown. At least allow us to vote online or via proxy while it goes on. And then you can have a debate on the future parliament afterwards. And if you don't like it, you've got a majority. We've got a majority. You just vote against any proposal. So what is the problem? Uh, well, it's fascinating stuff. Just before I let you go, uh, lots of different ways that this, this enormous queue have been described as a conga or the queue for Disneyland. Have you got any thoughts on what it reminded you of? Well, it's more probably like the queue for McDonald's, um, which <laughs> opened up, which is miles long. But sadly, there's no Big Mac at the end of it. No, you just a, just a, a bell goes off. You've got to queue up again. Uh, Rob Halfold, thanks so much. So in the end, MPs queued up not once but twice to vote on this. And in the final vote, they approved the government's motion to allow them only to vote in person by 261 votes to 163. That's a majority of 98, suggesting that given that the government has a majority of 80, there were far more opposition MPs who stayed away than Conservatives. It's worth pointing out as well that with only 424 MPs voting, that means that well over 200 weren't there in Westminster for whatever reason. So let's try to work out what all this means. I'm joined now on the line by Esther Webber, Red Box reporter, and Hannah White from the Institute for Government. Esther, just explain what on earth is going on. It's <laughs> a very good question. Um, someone just described it to me as an entirely new way of herding cats. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> And so they did this. They queued up um, like they were about to get on oblivion at Alton Towers. Um, what happened? How did they vote? They were voting on whether or not to make the way they were voting the way that they vote. Um, how how did they vote? How they were voting today is when they get to the front of the queue, they're by, they're by the dispatch box and they say their name and the way they're voting but not all of them seem to know this. So the speaker had to chippy them along a bit. And the vote today went against the amendment, which had been tabled to try and keep online voting, so effectively endorsing the government's plan. Uh, just explain then, Hannah, what this means in practical terms. That obviously, before lockdown, there was no need for the government to have an alternative to the piling into the division lobbies. They came up with a system that seemed to work pretty well, an online system that took, what, 10, 15 minutes, and they've replaced it with something which is taking the best part of three quarters of an hour. Yeah, well, you have to ask whether this is really the best use of everyone's time, particularly given everyone in government seems to be pretty busy right now. I think what they've done is essentially, if I can put it in a nutshell, 
they've taken a perfectly serviceable functioning system of digital voting, which, as you say, it took 15 minutes to digital, digital vote. I understand the House authorities had said they could have done it quicker, but the whips wanted 15 minutes. And they've replaced that with a system of queuing, which takes more like three quarters of an hour, which excludes, looking at the numbers for the first votes today, about a third of MPs from participating. So it doesn't seem like a move in the right direction to me. And it struck me when the debate was going on in the House of Commons that uh, the more that Jacob Rees-Mogg was pressed on why they wanted to do this, uh, the less clear things became. Uh, it seemed to be totally understandable that he wanted more MPs to come back to Westminster, and some MPs do want to go back in Westminster. But quite why, having got a system to work uh, for those who couldn't be in Westminster, he wanted to then junk that wasn't clear. While the debate was going on, uh, one uh, parliamentary source texted me saying that uh, having watched the debate that he, or the contribution for Jacob Rees-Mogg, MPs were joking that his parents should have demanded a refund from Eton. It was so incoherent. Um, <laughs> Esther, what did you make of the defence from Jacob Rees-Mogg, the explanation? How can you ex- try and explain to people what the government is doing? The way they have always framed it since they announced they were moving back to a physical parliament is that if the government is asking other people to return to their jobs when it's safe to do so, then they should be setting the same example. And I think there is a genuine fear of some of the the rhetoric around this, uh, because we've seen on, on Facebook these quite popular memes sort of saying that until MPs go back, why should we send our kids back to school? But what that doesn't capture, obviously, is that the government has also advised that people should continue to work from home if they can. And obviously, they have set up a number of techniques over the past few months that have allowed MPs to do a lot of their jobs from home. So some people are asking why the emphasis is being placed on them definitely needing to be present. And, and I think it's arguable that there's also something else at work here, which is a, a possible kind of legacy worry for Jacob Rees-Mogg, i.e. he doesn't want to be the Commons leader who oversaw the digitisation of Parliament. And I just wonder whether that might play a role in his thinking. Hannah, one of the things that Jacob Rees-Mogg kept on saying was, oh, we've got all this legislation we must get through, and then listed some legislation that none of it, some of it didn't sound terribly urgent, has to be said. But he said, all this legislation, we've got to deliver on the outcome of the election in December. What is it that's waiting? And just explain, if you can, I was going to say briefly, but it's almost impossible to explain parliamentary procedure briefly, but what it is that the government says can't be done at the moment in terms of passing legislation? So I think Esther's right that quite a lot of this probably comes down to Jacob Rees-Mogg personally, in that his job as leader of the House is, uh, you know, amongst other things, to get the government's legislative programme through. And it seems that he has some kind of um, concern that the the virtual um, system is going to impede that. Although, given that, you know, lots of uh, workarounds had been found, it's not exactly clear why he had that fear. Um The thing that he was really emphasising when he talked um, about what was lost in the virtual parliament was the sort of 
cut and thrust of debate, the fact that MPs could intervene on other MPs, could interrupt them mid-speech and, and query, query what they're saying, ask further questions in a way that um, enables the debate to be uh, more you know, to and fro. In, and that does contrast with other parliaments where MPs very much, you know, turn up, read a speech, go home, and it's not possible to, to intervene. And because the virtual system required people to sort of book in advance and say, I want to speak, and there were speaking lists drawn up, it wasn't possible to have that sense of intervening on each other when you were, were speaking. But it really seems to me that allowing for that, which, yes, is desirable, but in the course of that, excluding a third of MPs from being able to participate in the debate at all seems to be a really um, odd sense of priority from the Leader of the House. And one of the sort of slightly strange things is that, that Jacob Rees-Mogg's promising to bring forward a motion that would allow MPs to, who are shielding at home to take part in statements and question times but not in debates, uh, but they will also still wouldn't be able to vote. And lots of people have pointed out that the pairing system, which is where you get one opposition MP who can't vote with a maybe a government MP who's going to vote the other way, uh, and they sort of get paired up and they, they get knocked off the total tally. But of course, that renders the whole um, idea of debate null and void, because some, as some MPs were discussing in the Commons, uh, sometimes it's the debate that makes them change their minds. To be honest, quite often these days, that doesn't happen. At the height of the Brexit stuff, maybe it did. Uh, but in theory, the whole point of having a debate is so that that might influence how people are going to vote. And if a third of MPs are paired up uh, before debates even got underway, it's all a, it sort of renders the whole thing a bit pointless, doesn't it? But I think you've really got something there, Matt, because the I think one of the things which really triggered this aversion to the virtual system was the government's experience on the agriculture bill that they were debating before the recess, where, in fact, the power of argument during the course of debate does seem to have changed the mind of some Conservative MPs who ended up using the virtual system, voting not as whips expected. There was a minor rebellion on some aspects of the, of the agriculture bill. And I think that disconcerted the party whips and they felt, well, we haven't got as much control over MPs when they're sitting, you know, in their home offices or, or God forbid, you know, going for a walk and exercising their vote while they while they do that. And they, they really felt that perhaps, you know, they weren't going to be able to exercise as much sway over the way MPs vote, which to me, again, seems pretty topsy-turvy in terms of the way Parliament, as you say, is supposed to work. It's supposed to be that the uh, power of debate ought to be able to change people's minds so they vote differently to how they thought they were going to when they walked into the chamber. Speaking to people yesterday about what's been going on, some of the MPs who would like to support the government but aren't happy about the current arrangements were saying that they would be happy with proxy voting even um, but they but they didn't like the idea of moving to pairing because they felt a as you said it it means they don't effectively get to choose how they vote and also because there are some potential privacy issues in that MPs may not always want to disclose that they're not voting for a certain reason. And that kind of thing will will be scrutinised if if this goes ahead. Uh, I suppose, finally, Esther, we should just point out that this has almost no bearing at all 
on the pandemic and the government's response to it. That Parliament, instead of, I don't know, scrutinising uh, go- what the government is doing, I mean, Matt Hancock did do a statement earlier on in the day, but the, the Parliament has basically spent the entire day arguing about how it should vote, uh, rather than doing anything that might, you know, relieve uh, the, the, the coronavirus crisis itself. Yeah, well, we know, you know, whenever there's an opportunity to focus on itself, uh, they they take it. Um, <laughs> but it does seem like this has taken up a lot of energy and bandwidth that maybe could have been more usefully deployed. So, Hannah, where do you just finally? Where do you think this leaves us now? Are we stuck with the conga for the foreseeable future? Well, I think the really troubling thing now is that, you know, watching it today, it, it, it just looks ridiculous. It, you know, it's not a good look for the UK Parliament to have regressed in this way. But the, the, the troubling outcome would be that, you know, MPs now are going to really think carefully about pushing anything to a vote. You know, whereas previously when they were scrutinising legislation, if they had an amendment, they might well want to test what the House thought about their amendment and say, well, you know, actually, I think, you know, even if I'm not necessarily going to win this vote, I, you know, I want to see what the strength of opinion is behind that. There's going to be a real disincentive to MPs uh, doing that. They're not going to want to put their, their, their colleagues out more than they have to. So I think we're going to see if we stick with this system, we're going to see a real drop off in the number of votes. And that's got to be bad for scrutiny. It's probably good for the government. They'd much rather have fewer votes and just be able to push their legislation through. But in terms of the, you know, the quality of the legislation at the end of the day, I don't think it's a good outcome for any of us. And what are we calling it? Is it a conga? Is it an Alton Towers queue? Is it a, a line up for the McDonald's? What's I'm, 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 going, I'm going for conga. What about you, Esther? <laughs> the mile file which was one of the suggestions we had in Roadbox. Hannah White and Esther Webber there. I'm sure in future episodes we will return to the slightly more pressing matter of what's actually happening with coronavirus and the lockdown, and particularly the government's decision to ease restrictions, particularly in England, despite fears that the rate of infection has not come down far enough. Uh, To make sure you don't miss those future episodes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen. And we've finally got a date for when this podcast becomes a whole radio show. Times Radio launches on June the 29th. I'm hosting the mid-morning show from 10am till 1 o'clock on Monday to Thursday. Uh, All the details of how you can tune in to come in the coming weeks. And you can follow uh, Times Radio uh, at Times Radio on Twitter and Instagram to get all of the very latest news. But for now, my thanks to Tracy Braven, braving the front line of voting, Rob Halfon at home in Essex, and my huge thanks to Esther Webber and Hannah White. From me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or 
anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustolium.